Welcome to the Swedish Junior Hockey Podcast. Jacob Dahlin, uh, the host here. And today we have a former player, coach, and a sports psychologist. What else should we say, John? Well, I guess basically just John Paris Jr., just another human being that happens to have a few years uh, on his age and uh, happy to be here. This episode is brought to you by Scandlux, your home for Scandinavian luxury products for the U.S. market. You can find us at scandlux.com. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for jumping on. And let's start with where are you sitting today? I'm in Fort Worth, Dallas at the moment. This is where yep. I live. Uh, been here for about 12 years. Yep. And and we were supposed to record and <laughs> some somebody <laughs> clipped a telephone or a, a or a pole and knocked oh, the power. Yes. But but we we got on so it's good no no problems today no we're here yeah here's the things that so look we can uh you've got such an impressive resume and and uh for for people that want to know about john paris jr it's easy to to, to google it and uh, a, a big long wikipedia page comes up and and it's great for me because i can get a lot of information on there but right now i have the elite prospects page open here and um, and actually, the stuff that was written in the Wikipedia information was 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 interesting to me. Um, and so, why don't we take back? You're originally from where? Windsor, Nova Scotia, uh, in it, Canada. Down, that's way down on the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, yeah, wonderful place to be. We call it. It's a playground. Wonderful playground area, and there's a lot of tourists go there. Yeah. And uh, I have a friend of mine that's from Nova Scotia and he always talks about, uh, you know, he lives on the beach. Well, in the summer. So in the coastline. Summer, yes. Coastline. Yes. Yeah. But Windsor is on the uh, it's on the west side of Nova Scotia, right? Yes. Of Halifax, too. The major city, which would be Halifax. So, yeah, it's in the Annapolis Valley. Yeah. So I can say, Acadian territory. I can say that I've been really close to it every time I fly to Sweden. Yes. Yes. When you fly over, you, you're close. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's what I want to talk about. We want to talk about your background because it's unique, right? And, and, and certainly has shaped you in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I put on, uh, on my little notes here, trendsetter, icebreaker, paving the way. That's kind of uh, what I think of when I've read your, your, your bio. Uh, but the main topic, I wanted to get your opinion because, because, you know, you actually got referred to me by Danny Treisler, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, call him a friend who's now in Denmark. And uh, and he said, you know, you really ought to have John on because he can talk about hockey IQ and the psychology of of hockey and and uh, kind of mental toughness and and more than just the edge work and passing. Right. Yeah, it's a lot more to it than that. Uh... Anybody yeah. can, you know, anyone can improve their edge work and their passing or puck management skills. But the, the key is above the shoulders. That's where yeah. the game is really played. You have to learn to play the game within the game. Yeah. So for those who don't know and not watching the YouTube clip on this, but let, just listening to the uh, to the audio version, uh, you're a little bit older than I am. I'm 48. So you've been I'm around so a little while. Yeah, I've been around a little while. I was born on August the 1st, 1946. So that makes me 77. I'll be 78 come 1st of August this summer. So yeah, uh, going on 25. And yeah, that's exactly right. You're as old as, old as you feel. Mm -hmm. uh, but growing up, uh, you're also 
what else is unique with with um, uh, John Paris Jr. as a hockey player back in the 40s? Oh, in the 50s, 40s. Well, I was recruited by, uh, let's just say, probably the greatest coach in the world, uh, Scotty Bowman. Uh, yep. Knocked on our door. And uh, and, and what, what Wikipedia says, uh, 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 befriended uh, Rocket Richard. So you've been, yes. you've been around with the big boys, especially around the Montreal Canadiens and, and kind of the Eastern, Eastern teams there, right? Well, I, I had the, good, the privilege of being uh, around during the six-team era uh, when you had, uh, uh, let's just say, access to all the teams coming into the Montreal Forum, et cetera, and so forth. So I saw all of the uh, star players, or the uh, regular players, and let's just say the role players uh, for decades. So I can go way back and you know, have an opinion on exactly what transpired back in the 50s, late 40s, right up to today. And I've seen some changes uh, but I also, uh, there's a lot of things that are the same. It's just, for example, terminology. The, the terminology has changed, but the, the, the expressions and the, the main meaning of the subject that you talk about has not changed. And hockey still played on ice with a stick and a puck. Yep. And, and it, the fun thing is that this little game brings a lot of passionate people together, which is why this guy from Sweden is talking to a guy that lives in Texas from Nova Scotia about this game. About the game, yes. And and this is what makes a game, or sports in general, it's entertainment. And what makes it so interesting is because it draws people together. Uh, you may not always agree on which team, which player, et cetera, but you can agree to disagree. And everybody gains if you're an, you have an open mind. But this, this is what's unique with sports. And hockey is unique within itself because it's, it is the uh, fastest, most difficult team sport to play. And it's also such a – I mean, I hear this all the time. Hockey is such a small community. It's such a small world with hockey players. And uh, I think it's fascinating and so true. It is true. You'll meet someone that you may never have spoken to that's involved in hockey, either played it or in management, or maybe just a, an everyday fan. And you'll have a conversation piece. You always have something to start with and automatically as if you knew them because yeah. you fall within the same room. Yeah. So let's take it back. So you were a player at one time and and a pretty good one, but uh, not a big player. No, uh, not a big player. You, you weren't the bruiser from the Western Canada, uh, <laughs> but you must have had a different game. But let's talk about your background as, as a player growing up there in, in Nova Scotia. Well, I learned the game to, to begin with, to skate it. I was two years old, not quite two. I could skate better than I could walk, they used to say, but that was my dad that uh, in, initiated me into the game. And I played my minor hockey in Windsor, Nova Scotia. And we, uh, we're just a small town of about 3,000 some odd people, similar to a lot of small areas in Sweden. And what we did was hockey, 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 hockey. However, for a few years, we had one team, one group of youth, and we were probably one of the better teams in Canada of, of our age groups, from starting from beginners right through midget hockey. And... Uh, we, act, we won a few championships. Uh, some teams would refuse to play against us. But we had the possibility of being on the ice practically every day. Indoor, oh. We had an indoor rink and an outdoor rink. How would you describe yourself, This, which I always think is hard to do, but how would you describe yourself as a, as a younger hockey player? A uh, student of the game. My, I, 
an awareness player. I had to use, I was quick and fast. I had both of those. Okay. However, the understanding part of the game, the vision part of it, that was instilled in me by my father to start with. And uh, I had to dissect games sitting on his knee. But when, when I played, I found out that, hey, this game is only complicated if I do not understand what I'm doing. So I was always looking for something. And my mind was trained that way, always looking. And was you, did your dad play? My dad played hockey. Yes, he did. My dad, my grandfather, my uncles, my brothers, uh, they played. My I have family members who played in the colored hockey league in the 1890s, the first league that existed uh, in hockey, actually. Well, that's awesome. So I just think that that's so fascinating, too, the father-son kind of dynamics. And it described that. So uh, was he out there on the ponds, on the backyards with you? Or was it like in every way you guys were talking about hockey in different situations? He was everywhere. Uh, on the ice, he taught me how to skate. He taught me first how to use the edges. And we started out with the uh, – they had four blades, you know, the double blades. So uh, – <laughs> The, uh, that's how I started, and then immediately put me on one blade. So, and plus, if we watched a hockey game or any type of situation, I had to break it down. I had to see it, understand it. So that was a well. Let's just say a precursor of what I became later on. Being more, I was always I'm always curious, and it's due to that. But he always said, if you can see it, you have an opportunity to have success at it. If you cannot see it. You have no opportunity to be successful. And there's no such thing as luck, he would always say. You create your own. What was his occupation? My father worked at the uh, post office in okay. uh, Windsor, Nova Scotia. He was a post office employee. He worked for the government. That's okay. what he did. And uh, he coached baseball, played baseball. They used to pay him to play on teams, either baseball or fastball. And other teams around the province would come and get him and pay him to, play, to come to play for them. He was an outstanding baseball player. Ah, so you got the genetics, right? Yes. I mean, uh, we, we never do things all by ourselves. Yep. Yeah, it you know. helps. It helps a certain way. My my genetics is more cross-country skiing, which which is not necessarily the best as a hockey player. But <laughs> Well, it doesn't hurt. It gives you endurance. It does. It, 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 that's true. That's true. But mm -hmm. uh, but how long did you stay in Nova Scotia in, in terms of playing hockey? Until I was 16. Well, 17, actually. And... Uh, I went to Canadian junior camp, Kunwoye, Savard, Bougia, all of that, Gouplemay, Coco. And that to me was eye-opening, leaving a small town, going to a huge city. Uh, I played uh, in Maisonneuve with one of the farm teams, with Guy Lapointe, who uh, was one of my teammates at that time. Um, I roomed, actually, during my career with players, like one of my roommates was Rogi Bastion, Rogi Cien Bastion. They... He's in the Hall of Fame, goaltender, played with the Kings in Detroit, Montreal. Uh, no, uh, the uh, how would I say that? The I was really gone at 17, never looked back, was homesick for a couple of months. And after that, uh, I was fine. But uh, no, I was 17 years old. Yeah. And uh, how so how's juniors back then? Of course, not as big as it is today with junior teams everywhere. But it, there were still juniors, right? Yeah, well, you see, you only had six teams in the National Hockey League back then. Yeah. That's in 62. So basically what would happen is every NHL team had their farm teams or their affiliate teams. Everyone had a junior team. So in Quebec, uh, Ontario, and the West. So that's all. That was the extent of it. They had one junior team in each province. 
and it was in the CHL, which you know is a Canadian Junior Major Hockey League today. So if you played in uh, in one of the chains of an organization of the National Hockey League, it was kind of a feather in your hat because mm-hmm. you know as well as I do with six teams that there was the opportunities were very rare. The competition, if there were a hundred people at training camp, you know there was a hundred people that could play the game. So basically you had a barometer of how, you know, where you could rate yourself and rank and figure out what you had to do. So, so when did you figure out that, okay, Hmm. I, uh, I may be, this may be something that I can make it at. As a, uh, and as a player in coaching? Yeah, as, as, as a player, we'll get into coaching next. Well, as a player, we, uh, healthy, I was always able to dominate. I never thought about my size. I'm not that big, five five, really five four and a half. But I like five five. Sounds better. <laughs> and I weigh about a buck thirty five. So, but I was able to play against the the big guys. And and during that area, they could, you know, around the around the net, for example, in the grid areas, that they could cross check you or hook you, whatever they wanted, and get away with it. Game was different than today. It was uh, it was brutal. But however, I was able to survive in that simply because I could do things that the others weren't able to do. And I would apply to that. And I was scoring a lot of goals. But I took as much pride in playing at the 200-foot game because that's what my dad had taught me very young. So I sort of had an idea then when people were calling me names or yelling and screaming when I was very young. And when my dad told me, he said, they're doing that because you're good. So let's talk about that, too, because you're – you're a black American. Well, so how does it called in, in Canada? Here it's called African-American. What's it called in, in Canada? Uh, can, it, uh, it, it explains my uh, ignorance here. No, it's not ignorance. It's, it's, it's okay. I'm black. Yep. Bottom line is there. I'm black. Uh, I have no problem with that. I'm very proud of being black. I, uh, for me, I always tell people I had the good fortune of being born with black parents. So uh, yes, even though there's a lot of biracial activity in there, however, uh, that's all. I'm black. I have no problem with that. And that's what you can use. But they do some Canadian, African, Canadian, African, American. And really, I should just be Canadian and you should just be American. And maybe we'd have less problems. But we're not on that today. I know. I know. And it's but but it's funny because not just being of color, you were small. Mm-hmm. So you were different in many ways, in many ways. But I never realized I was small. <laughs> I never realized I was really black. Other people told me that. So then, uh, and I would smile anyway. So, but basically, like I said, the, um, the, the difference factors was more of a motivational thing. You have no time. Don't get, be distracted by uh, other ingredients that are out there, whether they're positive or negative. Go out, play your game. Don't take yourself outside of the game. And yeah. That's what I did. No, it's fascinating. And I think that, so looking back, how much of that shaped you kind of as a, as a player that you had to be the underdog and, and uh, you know, nothing was given. Well, how would I say that underdog? I can't really say that because if they were picking teams, I was always the first one picked. So uh, basically I just looked at it that way. What it did teach me was that there's no perfect situation. And it's how you deal with situations, confrontation, uh, how you handle it is going to dictate the results. 
and basically I've always used that either whether I'm playing or not playing or preparing, whatever. It's uh, I want to control the results in a positive manner, not a negative manner. Yeah. Um, something popped up on my screen here, so I'm trying to trying to wave it away here. I lost you. First. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, but you played up and, and talk about your uh, your uh, that you didn't know that you had an illness. When no, you no, didn't know it, but uh, I, I played ill, and uh, uh, there were games I could dominate, and uh, in junior hockey, but when I was playing minor hockey, I just dominated. I was. It was, I could do what I wanted. And when I was healthy in junior hockey, I did the same thing. However, uh, there were a lot of times I would have uh, problems with my intestines, problems with my digestion, uh, et cetera, fever, and uh, often having to uh, make stops at the emergency room at the hospital. Wow. And my game would suffer from it. So sometimes uh, media or certain uh, individuals in the game would think, well, maybe he's a prima donna or maybe, you know, He's a superstar one evening. He takes a couple of nights off. But no, I was playing with a, well over 100 degree fevers, uh, et cetera, and so forth. Actually, the doctors uh, never believed at the beginning that I had played hockey. They said, He's, it's impossible. And they, it had to be shown. We proved it to him that I played. But yeah, I played with illness. And uh, I, that's why, but it was a positive in one way because it brought me into coaching. Yeah. So, so at what point did you this and how was that for you in terms of like, okay, this is it. I'm done. Well, at 18, I had been at the uh, Quebec Aces training camp in the American hockey league. And uh, the boomer was there, boom, boom, Jeffrey on the famous superstar uh, of the Canadians and the national hockey league, sadly deceased today. And uh, I wasn't feeling well, but it was okay. But in 1967, I was taken into a, uh, Philadelphia by end of the the draft season, the original draft of the NHL, the Flyers. So they had my rights and I was at training camp. They wouldn't let me go on the ice. So they sent me to the hospital and the doctor said, I don't think you should be playing. We need to do more tests. Finally, they gave me a clearance to be joined the camp and they sent me to Knoxville, Tennessee to play in the Eastern Professional Hockey League in the Deep South. I was the first black to play in, on a team in the Southern United States. Um, uh, and and uh, Knoxville, it's, it's not not a bad place to be. So uh, yep. I joined that era. It, there were problems. We know that. We're not going into that. Um, but I was ill. So one day I went to the uh, arena and the uh, gentleman was there and he said, somebody wants to talk to you. And it was a doctor. And that was the end of my career. He said, you have to go back. He said, you're not healthy and uh, you have an illness and it's not good. Yeah. So, you won't be able to play hockey. And so I went back. So I went back to Quebec and uh, went back and I decided I'd hit the books. Uh, I ended up with a, with a non-visible uh, disability. Like I have a, a pouch, a sack on my yep. side. Uh, I have no cologne or no rectum or anything like that. They took that all out. I had, a, I had cancer and I had uh, a combination of colitis and Crohn's disease, which is very rare. So basically I had to battle there and I had cardiac arrest on the table. So it was a, it was a rough spell for a while. A lot of it, I do not remember, but I do know for a fact to make a long story short that I wanted to stay involved in the game. So I knew I had to find a way, uh, maybe a different route than the others were taken. So for myself, it was education, coaching, 
and using patience and perseverance to uh, obtain the, to get to the, to reach my desire. Yeah. So so did you go to, did you go to university there in Canada? Yeah, I went to college in Canada. I took, and I went to college in French and in English. I, uh, I speak French and English. I uh, actually, I could speak four languages back at that time. And I lost two of them with the, after cardiac arrest uh, that we don't have, uh, I don't have the usage of them anymore. For instance, Italian and uh, so. Uh, wow. I still have French and English. When I came out, I could only speak French. So, and my dad, I can remember, would say, "I can't understand it to my mind. He doesn't understand what we're saying." And they were explaining to him that's because he doesn't he's, he doesn't understand English anymore. So I learned to speak English, read and write all over again in both languages and uh, that was the start and wow. and actually that year i came out of the hospital i remember coming out after a major operation in 75 i got i told my wife i said i'm going and i was only young 25 i i'm going to belleville ontario she said well who's taking you i said i'm going by myself i have to do this she said well where are you going i said i'm going to the university there there's a international course on hockey being given the first international hockey symposium that's ever existed is being held in Belleville. And I said, the Russians, the Swedes, the Amer- everybody's going to be there. I said, I have to be there. She said, you, you can't go. She said, how are you going? I said, I'll get there. So she let me go. And the doctor said, well, let him go. <laughs> and I went and uh, I can remember setting up at three in the morning and they'd have an interpreter with Boris Kooligan and all of them in the room. And uh, I do not drink, but they they were drinking strong stuff. So, but they were talking hockey, and that just the light bulb completely went on there. But I had started coaching in 1969, 68, 69. So, youth in Saint Joseph de Sorel. So I was always so you know I was continually studying and trying to take advantage of every situation I could. Yeah, and then you got into the to the coaching. Uh, so you were. So I'm looking at, I don't know if this is right. So when, what level did you start off in, in, in the coaching? Cause I started, well, I'll tell you, uh, Jacob, I, uh, I coached in uh, 69. I coached the uh, junior A team farm team of the Sorrell Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks farm team. Uh-huh. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks had the Quebec junior major hockey league team in Sorrell Tracy. And uh, they had a junior B team that their farm team was it. A junior team was in St. Joseph de Seren. And I was the coach there with Marcel Max Goodrow, my good friend. He's like a brother to me. He's deceited today, but we played together, an outstanding defenseman. And uh, I coached there. And I was coaching minor hockey with Mr. Charlemagne Pelicane, who was the director of sports and uh, of St. Joseph de Sorel, who came to uh, my house and he said, uh, We're looking for a coach. And I said, Oh, well, maybe I can find someone for you. And he looked at me and he smiled. He said, no, he said, uh, I'm talking about you, John. I said, well, Charlemagne, I said, you know, uh, at that time I called him Mr. Pelican. I said, Mr. Pelican, you, you know, there are no black coaches in hockey. I said, you're setting yourself. He said, who said anything about a black coach? I'm looking for a coach. Oh, and I said, well, you found one. And that's yeah. how I started. And I, I was supposed to have one team and I ended up coaching four teams. We won four championships in the, in that region, we won everything there for uh, in that league, and the whole four teams. And uh, he, they named me the uh, director of summer uh, sports, uh, et cetera. And I was still taking college courses, and I was working as a cost analyst at Quebec Iron and Titanium Corporation. So uh, 
Oh, okay. So you were, so you had, uh, so this was still kind of a, you have your professional gig and then you've got, uh, then you got your passion on, on the side. Yes. Yes. My passion on the side. And, uh, the, um, that's how I started. And the midget hockey, it, it, you have to remember that, uh, the best midget hockey in the world was played in the midget AAA development hockey league in Quebec. And the reason why was because they had seven teams in the whole province and the uh, top 16, 17-year-olds, 15, 16, 17-year-olds played midget. They didn't play like the other provinces. A lot of them would go and play either prep or junior, junior mm -hmm. age, you know. So they stayed in midget, so not league. That's why Mario Lemieux, Luke Robitaille, all the superstars came out of the, that league. Uh, and the ambition for coaches and the way that you knew you were a good coach is if you arrived to coach midget triple a that league started when in the 70s uh, and uh, mario de guise who was the uh, director of the ice hockey federation in the province of quebec at the time also had a team uh, teams uh, he was director of sports also in sorrel tracy so he brought me over to sorrel tracy across the bridge to coach his top double a teams and uh, that's how it started. And then finally, uh, uh, I ended up coaching the Richelieu Riverlane, the Midget AAA team. And uh, at the towards the end of a season, uh, we made the playoffs when no one thought we would. That's why they brought me on. And I had trouble at that time being able to walk, and I, so people would help me. However, I brought them to the series, and we we won. We went right through to the semifinals. The following year, we won the Air Canada Cup, which is the standing cup of uh, minor hockey at that time. So uh, and we went undefeated, which is in regulation time, which is a record that still holds. So, you know, so basically, Did okay. I had to start. Did okay, yeah. yeah. So so let's fast forward a little bit, though, because, I mean, we could talk for hours about all, every team that you coached, but mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, I have to ask about uh, – one team. So you ended up in Atlanta. Yes. Atlanta Knights, Tampa Bay Lightning Farm Team, their top affiliate. Yeah. And uh, which was, so was that the, how how soon after that did, did the Thrashers come to, to Atlanta? Thrashers came to Atlanta after they destroyed what they did. They tore down the Omni where we played because it held only like 15,000 people and we used to fill it. Uh, so they needed to build a new arena in order to have the new franchise. And Ted Turner had the rights to the new franchise given to him. So the, uh, the 96, 97 was the last season that they had the Knights in uh, Atlanta. Yeah. And then did that team move to Macon? No, that team moved to Quebec. Okay. so They so moved to Quebec. They went to Quebec City. And I knew that it wasn't going to be a successful event they had the nordiques there before and they were gone and um, for different reasons so for me uh, no macon was in the central professional hockey league so uh, that was a, a step lower but uh, it was an expansion and nobody uh, nobody ever thought that you could put a successful franchise there because in the in 1971 i believe they had a french team move in there and it lasted only about a month and they put a lock on the door and seized everything. And they said, the hockey in the South is not going to and make and forget it. So, but I met a, a gentleman brought me in, Richard Ray. And that's why I went there because mainly because of Richard Ray, one of the owners and Pat Nugent, who had been the director of development for the New York Yankees 
in baseball. So uh, they had convinced me to go because I coached not, my ambition was not to make the National Hockey League. I'd already been there as a scout. I'd been to training camp. So I, my, and with my health and et cetera, my, I'm, I'm an, I enjoy developing. I like challenges and I, I like helping players progress. So I said, I'll go there. And there was a gentleman, Maurice Jeffries in the East Coast Hockey League who kept hounding me, wanted me to sign. And he started with three years and he went, I'll give you five years guaranteed, head coach, general manager. If I, what do you want? He would say. I would say, that's not what interests me, Mr. Uh, Jeffries. And uh, yeah, so I didn't go to Huntington. I chose, uh, I chose Macon because of the reasons I told you, I, the challenge. And at that time, Kevin Shoveldayoff, the actual uh, general manager of the Winnipeg uh, Jets, was the uh, general manager of the Chicago Wolves who uh, moved to the AHL, the IHL at that time, and the AHL were merging, uh, had offered me an assistant role there. And I was actually considering going. I would have went. But uh, Marty Howe uh, was friends with the head coach, John Anderson, at that time, and he wanted work and needed work. So uh, I didn't get that employment. I met with Greg Patrick of Pittsburgh Penguins, et cetera, and so forth. So, uh, so I ended up in Macon. And and one of the greatest names of all hockey names, Megan Whoopi. Yes, Megan Whoopi. Where and, did uh, that come from? Because I mean, you knew you had to be different. I don't. I, really, the song "Megan Whoopi" was, uh, you, you know. And don't forget, they had it on an airplane during the uh, Vietnamese War, and uh, ah. the uh, also. And there's an era. Forest Base in uh, Warner Robins, not far from Macon. I'm really not aware of where that came from, but uh, it was named originally back of the original team that was there in seventy early 70s was the Whoopi. They just added an extra E to it. Okay. And, uh, so, uh, and and th then there was Whoopi Goldberg. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, lot of things that go there. Uh, I used to joke with people. I said, this is Whoopi Goldberg's team. <laughs> you know, but a lot of people associated with Doris Day and making Whoopi and uh, so uh, they we used to go into Oklahoma City they'd have 15,000 people in the stands sitting on Whoopi cushions <laughs> and, yeah so uh, it was interesting it was a novelty yeah but at the same time it's you know it's an it's entertainment I mean hockey's entertainment and and uh, you know I, I I'm in a town here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina has a federal federal prospects hockey league team. And it's the lowest level of, of professional hockey, if you want to call it that, but it's entertainment and yes. people have to be aware that that's, and there is a place for that in hockey. I mean, you got NHL and not everybody's going to be able to play NHL and not everybody's going to sell out a NHL stadium either. So no. No, no, the entertainment is, you said the magic word, it's entertainment and that's what uh, you need to have because people have to have fun, they need to have enjoyment, they need to have uh, partisanship uh, and they can get heated at times, yep. but that's the enjoyment of the game. That's because it's, it's because everyone does not think the same way. Everyone has their favorites and et cetera, and that's what keeps it interesting and, and we need that. And there's, you can never have too much entertainment within the game. Actually, today they're allowed to entertain. For instance, the, the lacrosse move, et cetera, moves yep. we made back in the day and were told not to do. 
We as kids, we did that in the fifties. There's yeah. nothing new there. I mean, the commentators and the analysts, they get all excited. And and I'm sitting there smiling or my phone will ring where I'll get a tag, receive a text. Someone said, Coach, we did that way back when I actually taught kids that in the 70s at St. Joseph, this or that. But you could have a brawl or a big fight if that if you did that. It was called hot dogging, showing yeah, yeah. up. And you can imagine a little short black guy going and putting a stick between his legs and flipping it up in the top net. What was going to happen, right? We're coming yeah. around the net, scooping it up and doing. But we could do We had that. We learned that on the pawns and playing fun games and uh, street hockey and playing shinny hockey. We And the snow where ripples on the ice dictated that you had to make different moves. We had to move. I, we would pass pucks to our teammates on the pond over snow. So we would flip it over a bank in the air. So yeah, yeah. Up, pass it like somebody throwing a lacrosse ball. We did all of that, but it was by necessity. We learned it. We weren't allowed to show off. And, and I can remember Mo Smith, one of my coaches in Windsor, Nova Scotia. Don't do it. He says, you're a little black guy. He said, you're going to get hurt. He said, they're all going to jump you. Don't not do that. But I had my teammates who were white. They were they could do it, too. So yeah. we just didn't do it during games. But you need the entertainment. You need that. Yeah. Well, let's move into this area. We're, we're right off that way. A little bit, a few weeks after the World Juniors. But here's the here's the thing I want to pick your brain on, because I think it's a it, it's a, I just want to get your opinion on 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 this. Sweden versus USA in the final. Sweden was a better hockey team when it comes to playing the game and yeah. all of the skill factors of it. Uh, the, the uh, but Sweden, that Sweden, for example, they do a lot of cycling and they were controlling the corners in the wall. But the reason why we cycle and work those corners is there's two major reasons. One is to wear down the defensive and create opportunity. And the, the major is you always want to finish with a scoring opportunity off of that. Now, on a large ice surface, what happens, the, the Swedes were used, they're used to playing on a large ice surface. So if you're playing against Finland or another team, you can do that and get away with but you're playing against a team that's used to playing on a smaller ice surface that are used to getting inside the grid they're going to the net doesn't matter what you do that's where they're going they're going yeah. to use their speed and whatever and they're going to go they're coming through the middle and this is what happened so for the the swedish hockey team in my opinion um they they could have come out with a better result if they had to use the middle of the ice better now keep the tools the skills that you have but when you play a North American team like Canada or the U.S., like the U.S. was power packed with individual talented players. But the team concept, we have to be honest, the uh, Swedes were by far the better advanced team. So if they would play more uh, of the North American game style game, when they use the skill and all of the development that they have, but bring it to a North American style play for when they're playing the U.S., just a few minor changes inside the grid, et cetera, get in the prime scoring area. You can still cycle. It would have been a different outcome, in my opinion. What 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 about the mental game? Because there was a little bit of that, uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, you, you watch it. And, and uh, it seemed like the Americans got under the skin. Yeah. And the Americans came out ahead on the mental game in that game. Yes. And uh, I can remember when Borgi Salmi arrived in Toronto, uh, people talk about racial prejudice or bigotry, et cetera. What was done to Borgi Salmi was asinine borderline. They should have been in prison. It was wrong. Uh, I lift my hat to Borgi Salmi, but I'm going to step a, take a step farther. 
when you're playing a team that you know that has a bit of arrogance and that are trying to play the mental game against you, they're going to use every tactic they can to distract you. You have to be prepared for that. Yeah. And in order to prepare for it, you have to have what I call ghost squads. Similarity. You need to prepare your team in consequence. You take them on the outside. You don't have to be on the ice for that. And you put them into those situations and you have them experience it. And then you have to explain to them and have them go through it themselves, the reaction, how to react, when to react. So, they know so, it's coming. So, so do you think were they poorly prepared for that? Because you know that, that if you're going to play the American team, you know they're going to come in cocky and you know they're going to come in hard and physical. Or did they, maybe they prepared them, but they just didn't execute well. What's your thoughts? First of all, they had an excellent coaching staff. I'll yep. never throw stones at coaches. Um, the preparation part of it, it, it all comes back to being um, able to have the time and the resources to put it, the message across. And I think the major problem that they had was they didn't bring someone in that had the strength to be able to sit down one-on-one -on -one with the players, then as a group, and to use the strengths of mental conditioning to prepare them for that. You can't expect a head coach and his staff who are there to manage the team, uh, to manage the players on their preparation or development, et cetera, the game performance, making the changes during the game, adjustments, identification. It's not their role really uh, to go out and have to deal with that uh, like a troubleshooter. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. What needs to be done, in my humble opinion, Sweden needs to bring in someone on a permanent basis, not just a sports psychologist, doesn't it? a hockey person. It could be just, it could be another coach that has that strength that comes in and then explains to them, hey, you got a game to play. Got a game to play. And every time something distracting happens, you have to go back to that mod model. Got a game to play. Because you know distraction, they're going to use different methods to you do that. So you put them in that environment before they're there, have them live it, have them react to it, and teach them how to deal with it. Yeah. And once they've had that, it's it's just like drinking water. <laughs> he he did what? Or you come back to the bench and you hear what he said? Huh? Then they laugh at it. So it, you don't get distracted, and you you just come back. You use it as motivation, a motivation in the positive where you drive a little more. You add a little more uh, emphasis upon your skating, on your stopping and turning and back checking. You apply a little more. You add a little more vision to your game. In short, you add a little more grit. And then you say, okay, you want to play that game? I got a game to play. I'm going to play my game, but I'm going to play it with even more intense. And you turn it against them because that's all they did. Because I, I, I think that from a standpoint of, you know, everybody talks about the mental game and 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 how cerebral, you know, everybody's about the same in terms of physical fitness and physical mm -hmm. abilities. Um, and I think in tournaments like that is when it shows up. Now, I want to say this. Kudos to the Swedish junior team that made it to the final. Oh, the a heck of a hockey team. Great. And a heck of a development program. We're just talking about one element of the game. But if we look at the Swedish team together... That was just great to watch. I was, I smiled the whole game. I just was a little bit perplexed. And it's not the coaching staff because that's the individual player too. He yeah. has to understand that he has responsibility to control his emotions. 
but so, we have to give them a little help. So what's your opinion then on, I mean, I think that this is where the, and a lot of people are talking about the MTDP and, and, and the ability I've listened to interviews of people that are in that program and where they are honing that skill is in practice. They're going up uh, sharp, iron sharpen iron and the best against the best in practice. Remember what I told you about ghost squats? Yeah. Well, that's what you do. You uh, you put them in situations, uh, actual game sparring, situations. Sparring partners, right? Uh, yeah, but we I call them ghost squats, same as they use in football. But what we what uh, the hockey players need to have today is uh, a better uh, awareness to uh, the cerebral and the vision, the vision, the peripheral vision, how to use it. Uh, because the game will slow down. The more you see the game, the more you understand the game, that's when it slows down because you understand it. You know what you're looking for. The importance of triangulation, for example, they talk about it all the time. The triangulation is mainly hockey's played in formations of three to five. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always three implicated within. And if you start with that basics, that's mathematics. So basically what it comes down to, you have to understand that you have a role. You have to fulfill that role. You have to be trustable. Can I trust you? You have to be able to trust me. So it's fine. You know, it's, it's a two way street. Now, when the player's learning and they're out there, it's called development. So it's education. The game is education and they have to be educated before they arrive to the ice surface. Taking players out, putting them on the ice and running drills is great. Repetition is great to a certain, but it hits a wall. Whereas if you use all of the ingredients that are available to you and you add the mental division, the, the awareness, the comprehension of the game, there's no limit to it because we don't know the limits to the mind. A lot of players uh, are losing out simply because they're not prepared properly, not because the coaching staff is not good, not because the head coach is not a good coach, but because his support staff is not what he's missing an element in his yeah. support staff. And I think it's interesting, you know, in terms of what success and certainly the model that MTDP has is they have them for a long period of time. They can build the cohesion, they can build the trust, they can build winner attitudes and, and as a team versus, you know, Sweden has, you know, these guys are playing in individual teams and then they come together on the camps and they come, mm -hmm. you know, it's the traditional model. The U.S. model is a little bit unique and Certainly, I don't know when the USA Hockey put that program or the process in place, but uh, I would argue that they've surpassed Canada uh, at this point. Now, maybe maybe that's a little bit of a leap, um, but MTDP model has proven to be successful. Listen, that U18, U17 program is, is outstanding. Uh, the Swedish program is outstanding also. Canadian program... Uh, yes, uh, the the uh, U18, U17 program it has bypassed the Canadian program simply because due to the application of that program, we do not have that program in Canada. The uh, In Sweden, for example, they, they have another thought process where they have more practices compared to games. So we know that that is a positive. We also know that the, the Swedish players, when they arrive on North American soil, we know the skill development is beyond the North American ones. But the only part of the game is they have to adjust more to the smaller ice surface, uh, et cetera. But there's no longer a question. Nobody can question their will to uh, battle because uh, forget that. They're not fearful 
<laughs> no, anybody who thinks that you're going to intimidate a Swede physically and by a fight or something, forget that. That's not going to happen anymore. You know, that's that's a myth. That's done. I, I wouldn't even try to wake them up that way because some of them are extremely adept using their fists. So I'll let them sleep on that. Yeah. However, yeah. I, what I do, uh, what I believe personally myself is that if you take the best of each program, you take what do they do, like, for example, in America, Canada, Sweden, Finland, whatever, and you put it into a pot and then you break it down and you take the best of every component that they have of every country. And then but it's hard to do because simply, be, first of all, the, the dynamics of the arena, the ice surface is not the same. The uh, the skill factor, for example, uh, uh, in America, it's difficult to instill the thought process of practicing more than playing. I know the importance of it. You know the importance of it, but it's hard. It's a hard sell. It's the same way if I tell someone you need to have multi, yeah, multi-sport experience yeah. in order to improve. A lot of people think, oh no, I have to spend all my time just playing hockey. It's not true because your superstar players all played more than one sport. And it's been a proven fact for decades, decades. So we know that, but it's hard. It's a hard sell because of the way that the game is sold today. So, but I, what I would do, for example, is very simple. If I'm teaching something, or if I'm coaching a hockey team, I want my team to be developed because it becomes our team. And when it's our team, the responsibility of everyone is to be the best you can be at what you're doing and to be able to execute, to be consistent and be trustworthy so we can so each one can trust each other so for example playing the game within the game there are times that you have to interact with another player play breaks down but you got to make sure that you're able to adjust to that breakdown and it has to be done in a bang bang uh, today's game the way they play coaches tell a lot of players for example hey when we get to the dressing room between periods we're going to rectify that uh, i'm sorry too late <laughs> yeah I want it done now. If I'm the general manager, not my coach, no, no. You identify the problem. You adjust. I want it done on the bench immediately. But to the coach's uh, demise, they're often not put in a situation where that's their job, where they can work at that every day. Like a minor hockey coach, a development coach he has, he may be coaching another team. Yeah. And then he has to bring all these players together. So it's hard for him to do that. So I, I basically feel that you have to bring in, doesn't matter where it is, whether it's in Timbuktu, whether it's in Nigeria, or whether it's in the Arctic, you have to bring in people that are just as strong as yourself or stronger in the areas that you do not have the strength within and in the areas of need. And you surround yourself like that. And then your team and your, your whole environment will change. And it's then you become good at what you do because everybody remembers the winner right you don't remember the loser well I, I i think it was a it was a yeah it seemed like it's taken a little bit of a dip the junior worlds and i thought that it was a good tournament and i and and uh yeah some of the best weren't there but but uh it was just an intent entertaining tournament and and uh and and hats off to the to the u.s team to 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 bring the gold home and um it's going to be interesting to see how how everybody else makes moves and changes and, and lots of stuff going on in hockey Canada for sure now. And, and, 
uh, not necessarily always good things. They've gotten distracted with so many things and, and hopefully they can get back to uh, having to focus on the right things and not the wrong things as a, as a foundation, as a federation. Yeah, and that all starts at the youth level that you, you, uh, they're trying to correct things at the, after the yeah. happenings where uh, prevention has always been the best way of being and prevention starts with education. And if you educate them younger properly, uh, you know, you, you have to weed out the U S team, for example, like at, at the world juniors, they were, look, I know the coaches, outstanding coaches. I know them. I know them both of the uh, killer the, and uh, the head coach, Carla, the, the, these guys are good coaches. The Swedish coaches, I don't know them personally, but I know they're good coaches. Yeah. They're good coaches. So, uh, but they're only there for a short period, you know, and we need to, and all, also there are players either team didn't have with them. We have to somehow or other find a way to make it more uniform, the teaching, uh, to separate the coaching from the teaching, you're either teacher or your coach. And, yeah. you know, so I've been blessed. I've always had guys like uh, Dave Starman, Andre Duel, college profs. I've always had them, Andre Lebron, they've, uh, See, they were teachers too, and and they fulfilled roles that maybe I didn't. And sometimes we, they used to say, "Well, gee, what are they doing?" Like I would do a lot of exercises away from the arena. Yeah, you know, well, we're educating the players because this is what they have to execute when they come to the ice. I can't just expect them to go to the ice surface. I go to the board, or and then I draw out a drill, an exercise, and I tell them, "Hey, I want you to do this, 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 this," and then I overlook. For example, maybe one of the players, well, gee, he's got a weakness. He needs to improve. So maybe he doesn't know how to get to the right area at the right appropriate time. So I need to take him as an individual. Okay, on this exercise, your role is to do this. Yeah. On this uh, in this one here, on this one, you're, and not just have it a repetitious and uh, have it as a group thing, but I break it down to an individual, keep the same exercise, but they're all getting something that they need to improve upon, not just having all them doing it. Because at the end, they're not, they're, once they have it, right? You repeat, do it. If I go across the street on the same way every day, I can do it practically with my eyes closed. But what happens when cars are coming? Yeah. When trucks are coming? <laughs> so basically, or, or what happens if I, I have a, a limp? Well, what happens maybe if my one arm is shorter than the much shorter than the other, or bonus? How do I see? There's all kinds of things that are ingredients in the game that were overlooked that we try not to overlook and uh, to implement into the training. If you're playing for me today, if I were coaching, I would say, Jacob, if you have a, if, let's say you're a shooter, and if I have an exercise with you, and I said, well, Jacob, you're a shooter. What are you doing down there in the, behind the net? <laughs> We've got the puck. Why aren't you in a soft area where you can get your shot off? Or why aren't you in front of the net for deflection? I said, why are you down there? Well, the drill said I had to well, then forget the drill. This is where do you go on the drill? What are you supposed to do at where your weakness is? I know you can go down there, but so you're going to be chasing the puck all day. How are you going? You can't score from back there unless you're lucky. You're in luck doesn't exist. So yeah. Well, let's yeah. let, let's wrap up by uh, talking about because I think all of this kind of comes together. Uh, you know, one of the one of the cool things that I read about you that back up there in Windsor in Nova Scotia, they 
they uh, they even named the rink after you up there now. But I think you're you're uh, talk about the camp that you got coming up this uh, this summer and what what are the dates and how can we get information about it? And uh, yeah, the dates are July the twenty second in Windsor, Nova Scotia. That's West Stance Regional Municipality. However, uh, the um, it's a two two week session, but one week and one week two different sessions. However, the camp is a learning center. It's not a hockey school. It's a or a hockey camp. It's not a vacation, although it's a vacation for parents or vacations if you want to stay afterwards. What it is, it's it's very intense, and I can explain it to you uh, because I talk about uh, the lack of awareness certain players have. Great skaters, great puck handlers, great shooters, but they do not see the ice, et cetera, or, don't, or hockey sense is lacking, and we can yep. teach hockey sense. So what, what we do is, uh, and it's, we start in the mornings in the classroom, where uh, we go through the themes of the day and uh, they pick their notes, et cetera. So they know exactly what's going to happen, et cetera. They see it. It's explained. We put the players through uh, the dressing room, for example, explain to them the protocol, take them to the, the indoor turf. And we go through uh, the themes of the day, exactly what exercises, et cetera. What is the learning curve of the day? And then they see it. They learn it. For example, if you're, if we're teaching a, a part of the drills that we want, is maybe using your feet, being able to use your feet, receive passes, et cetera, or receiving passes with a stick. Well, we'll take a sock, we'll take a I'll take a soccer coach, soccer coach, teach them how to use your feet in the turf, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we use pros for that. Um, you go to the bench, for example, we don't players with us, you have to learn how to handle the bench, how to understand it, what you look for as a player. You have to have the mindset of a coach. For example, the players are out there for about a minute and a half, two minutes, maybe your defenseman had their tongues hanging down to their toes. You know they're tired. We've got to get them off, provide an opportunity to have a line change. So the player jumping on the ice has to understand, hey, I can't be trying to make a fancy play here. I've got to make an appropriate decision to make sure I can provide an opportunity so my teammates can get off the ice. Uh, line changes. You might want the guy to go to the puck and have the D-man step up and take the strong side You and have that first four, first. Uh, guy off the bench coming off it going to the puck carrier uh you might want the second guy maybe going to the middle whatever you may you not conventionally everything's you can't put everybody in a box you have to teach them all of the facets line changes do you change with one two three how do you do it when do you do it yeah everything is uh, broken down in, into a curriculum it's like going for your phd except you get to a have your exams are on the ice. Your, your NHL combine, for example, where they work strength and conditioning, which is great. They do an excellent job. But if you come to the Paris way, you're going to, your combine is going to be cerebral. We, we want to know to what degree is your understanding of the game? What do you see? What are you able to see? Where's your strength in, in hockey sense? When to play, how to under pressure, et cetera, and so forth during a game. So, and then we evaluate, but that's just, that's just Gozimado. What I would like to see, I would like to see as many, I would like to see as many Swedes as possible at, and, and we only take eight defensemen, 12 forwards per group. That's like a team because I, my thought process is I'm not a factory. We are not a factory. We're there to educate you. You have to leave much better than what you came in and we're there to help you to be able to progress within not only the, the, the individual understanding of the game, 
but all of the facets that you need to have to prevent uh, you not being consistent, like strategic positioning. That's very important because the theory of imagination is simply to encourage smart, what? Smart strategic positioning, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah. You play in the National Hockey League, you're a sentiment. You're a sentiment for a reason. I don't want a winger there that doesn't understand that the sentiment's really able to execute like a true sentiment. But there's a reason for it. So when it breaks down, we teach you what to do. But uh, you have to learn to play the game within the game by understanding your strengths, your role, being willing to accept the role, and play to your strengths, like I said, and be able to interact with your teammates. So th those are teachable components to give you an example. And if I have a, a mixture of, uh, of Swedish players and whatever in there with North American players, they will understand more, uh, a little more of the uh, mind games too that are played with, uh, because we, we do have skits also. We have skits. We put players through situations where uh, they have maybe verbal aggression. Maybe uh, they know the American team's going to run them. Well, there's ways and means, we call them escape methods, when you're on the ice surface, where you can play any team, how physical and big they are, I don't care. You're able to combat that easily if you can see. If you see and understand, that's fine. And that's where we go. But uh, it's intense. The days are long. We have dormitory. We have a cafeteria. We have pickup at the airport. And like I said, it's not a factory. We will take eight defensemen, 12 forwards per group. The age groups are like uh, 11, uh, 10 to, 10 to 11 to 13, excuse me, 14 to 16 and 17 to 20. Yep. And how do you find, so if, if I'm on uh, Google here now, how do I find information about the camp? We will have the website should be up within a couple of weeks, which will be, uh, uh, if you go to, uh, you'll go to the Paris way, but it'll be up in a couple of weeks. Okay. I'll, I'll be sure. And by the time that we'll, uh, we'll air this, we'll make sure that we put it in the, in in the description in the description well, yeah. yeah yeah well it, it i just think it's fun uh, it's interesting because there's so many camps that are all the same it's just a different person different yeah. skills guy and he's gonna have maybe it's a twist they're gonna run parachutes and they're gonna run you know fancy things and so much of it's based off of the cool thing that and and who has the best video editing person in social media really is is attracting yeah people to well it. maybe i could help uh, explain a bit uh, we do not use a big name i could go out and get a big name to come in what i use is people that are professionals for instance defensemen they're taught by a professional defenseman uh jared mccasey is playing he's one of them who's playing in Grand Rapids at the moment, Detroit's yep. organization. Uh, I could go on, uh, sentiment are taught by a sentiment. You, you, you understand where I'm going, right? So it, it, triangulation is taught by a professor before you even go out to make sure you understand. This is what transpires in a game. You see it on, and then video is done by a uh, Montreal Canadiens ECHL video coach. Uh, he comes in to handle that. The, um, if you want to understand about I don't know, advisors, agents. There's an advisor in the neural skills, Nathan Bittop, the original neural skills expert, who incidentally is working with the uh, agent. He's actually giving the same uh, neural skills for agents. He does it for agents, coaches, players, a lot of NFL. He'll be there uh, to explain what he does so that you're a complete. And the agent he's dealing with of CAA is just, he's the one who had the, uh, 
top baseball player signed that $700 million contract, the largest in sports. So, you know, football, baseball, basketball, they're all doing it with them. So uh, it's a future too. And incidentally, it's not lights on a computer or on the wall where you just go with speed and adjustment. No, it's all about understanding, seeing. Uh, for instance, myself, I teach peripheral vision. It's important. I teach that away from the ice, then to the ice, or I'll teach you bench management. Somebody else will come in. Like I said, there's always a, a professional to teach their strengths. And when you leave, if you're a winger, you're going to be a, you'll be a winger. If you're a center, but you'll be able to compete and also be a completion if it breaks down to be able to adjust to a breakdown. So we all know about that first, second, third, four checker, back checker positioning. But what, what a lot of youth do not understand is the importance of your sentiment. You've got to get there. You have responsibilities and we won't expect it to be fulfilled. If it breaks down, somebody will be able to, to you know, replace you there. But you have to make that switch as soon as you can. And we teach motion offense, motion defense. We use multi-sports also so that you understand exactly what's going on. Football, basketball, baseball, soccer, uh, ball hockey, ball hockey. We tell hockey players you have to keep your feet moving. But if you play ball hockey, you have to be running. You have to be moving your feet. So this is what we, we, we also incorporate that. But then you go to the ice and that's where you get your uh, rewards. Your applied, your applied uh, application phase yeah you get yeah you get your reward there and there's also people that'll be there to, to, to value you'll be rated and ranked you will be you'll be rated and ranked and there'll be people there that i'm sure that are going to make offer you opportunity that the uh bchl the nahl the 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 minor pro leagues the echl the the sphl the the, the prep schools the, see there's ample opportunity u18 programs so yeah. If you, but my objective is we're not a placement agency, is just to help the player to perform better at this, the game that they prefer so that when they go back home or they join their teams, well, they might be able to make a team at a higher level that they've always aspired to. That's where my ego is. I want the player to leave and to progress. I don't want them to come in and say, hey, I went to a camp, I had fun. Yeah, where are you playing? <laughs> well, um, I didn't make the team I wanted to make, and I'm done. Well, why didn't you make it? Well, I couldn't quite keep up. Well, why? And the player, if the player says, "Well, I wasn't fast enough," well, maybe if you understood the game a little better and could, and you had better vision, had more hockey sense, you could compensate, and you might yeah. make it. You know, yeah. the the skill factor, and I won't keep you long. The skill factor, skill development. There's enough professionals out there that teach skating, edge work, things like that. It's not what we do. We that's, teach NHL game performance, NHL game performance. That's what we do. Yeah, that's the point that I want to make sure that people get is that, you know, um, and, and I don't think that it's out there right now. I don't think that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm sure it's out there. It's just not a whole lot of it. Uh, that, it that It's out there. Daryl Belfry, uh, Belfry and Adam Oates are teachers. Kucherov had Adam Oates uh, help him. And you saw the change in Kucherov. He, he was already a superstar. Now he's a super superstar, but uh, he was taught by a teacher, Adam Oates. Daryl Belfry is a teacher. He's one of the best. In, there's a difference. We're yeah. teachers, and that's what I take pride in. What we do, others are doing, we just do more. Yeah. 
Well, it's awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on. Let me uh, let me end with this. We have a you know a partnership with Target Aid in in Sweden, which is a fundraising platform that we have a presence in. And I'm interested to hear what your opinion on this is. You know, we have a segment that is uh, uh, which is your team in your heart. Now you got you have been involved in so many teams, but which one is the closest to your heart? The closest would be a little, <laughs> a little small uh, ninja hockey team in St. Joseph, just so that I've never lost a hockey game. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> how would I say that nobody expected them to begin to play the way they did, and they became a hockey team. Nobody wanted to play them <laughs> <laughs> because we would be a man short, and they, we would just play keep away or. Uh, no, and a bunch of those youths were, uh, how would I say that, unknown. And as, as the season progressed, they uh, they became well-known. I mean, anytime you can take a small arena and fill it with a bunch of kids and having people come to see them. And the second one would be IMG, a group of kids. There were 13 of them with the goaltender included. They dominated in Florida. They dominated. They, they, uh, these kids, uh, I still smile today. Those were the two. So I have to say two. Although I appreciate all the others. But yeah. it was the execution they did. But they did things different. So the, so the first one, just to make sure, that was Riverans du Rijalu? No, no, it was St. Joseph de Salette. Okay, all right. And it was uh, said the uh, Maple Leafs de St. Joseph de Salette. I see. I see. Well, I appreciate that. Riverains were good. Don't get me I, wrong. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm reading off of off of a page here, so I was going to make sure I got the right one um, as well. So, John's been a pleasure. Uh, a little different conversation than we normally have, and and not so much about Sweden, but certainly interested about this little black puck uh, that we talk about pushing around and in so many different ways. Yes, and uh, the. Uh... I, I can tell you what a lot of people aren't aware of. When I was in Macon, Georgia, and coaching in the Central Professional Hockey League, there was a gentleman by the name of P.A. Forsberg. His son now plays for the Ottawa Senators as a goaltender. So I used to bring P.A. used to come over and for a couple of weeks and work my power play in that for uh, in Macon because uh, and that's how I got to know P.A. and I had a. I had a couple of Swedish players that came and played at different times on the team. But, however, to show you my mindset is that, uh, no, I'm the type of person that I'm always looking to find people that have strengths that are better than mine and that uh, can bring, a, an, a let's just say, a plus to the, the players on the team. It's not about John Paris Jr. It's about the youth, the players that are on the team. So P.A. Forsberg was there. And when I was in Sweden at, at the Dome, uh, they were working cycling back then with their national team. And I remember talking to some of them because they weren't used to seeing a black guy sitting there, a little guy, and they were curious. And somebody told them I was a coach. And uh, that was back at the end of the 80s. And I had mentioned to him, I said, don't forget, if you're going to cycle, you have to end with a scoring chance, scoring opportunity. And uh, I, uh, I didn't have my skates because at that time, because one of them had offered, said, would you want... And I said, I don't have my skates. He said, well, we'll get you a pair. And I said, well, we have to go. But I said, I'll come back and work. Uh, the, uh, anybody that needs, if, if, this, if there, any association of that that needs any help, 
It's not about money or anything like that. It's about exchanging. It's about learning from each other. I'm available, so don't don't be shy with it. Uh, uh, I'll have fun. I'll learn from you. You'll learn from me. Uh, it would be interesting. I think it's about time we got a gold medal in Sweden, don't you? I I, I certainly agree, and it, it it's getting there. It's uh... I mean for the world juniors. I'm yeah, it's it, it's it's getting there. It they they've they've been so good in the group rounds and oh, they've been outstanding, outstanding. And, but then it's getting there. It's funny to have those conversations with the folks at the at the Swedish Hockey Federation because they're they're trying to change the mindset of uh, of creating more of a winner attitude. Is actually strategic thinking at the at the federation levels. So, yeah. so then it goes into kind of the methodology of how do we now create this. Which is easier said than done. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first thing that you have to do, whether you're in North America or Sweden, is uh, basically uh, when I say don't leave the egos at the door because everyone has an ego. It's yeah. just that you leave uh, your ego status, which is a negative side at the door, bring in the positive, open-minded ego side or be willing to change your ego status. Well, well, the last time that they won the World Juniors was – when Mika Zibanejad, uh, who talking about a, yeah. a winner, a proven winner, yeah. uh, scored scored in the and and the game winning goal, and that's been, yeah, 15, 15 yeah. years ago maybe now. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a while. I remember it, and uh, he's with the Rangers now. Was with yeah. Ottawa before, uh, and he's a shooter too. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, the the uh, normally. Uh, I enjoy watching the Swedes play uh, every World Juniors, and there's nothing more. It's good for hockey. It's just good for hockey that they come out and win because they they do dominate up right up to the finals. And, well, uh, you, you, I, I was going to mention one Swede that I was going to get your opinion on. We talked a long time, but I, I do have to to mention, and that's Mats Naslund. Yes, played for the Canadians in the Canadians. Yes. Yes. And uh, it was a tiny little kid. Little father, but he, he, he had played, he, he had a, a bout with cancer. I didn't know that. Well, I, well, he wasn't, he ill. He was ill with something. I, 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 I don't know. It was cancer. I think it was cancer. I'm not sure. I could be mistaken, but I think it was, uh, but I remember watching him play. Matt's nasty. But and, he was, and and was, another one was uh, Hokan Lu, who played for Calgary, who was also very little yeah. but very skilled. Both of those they, were unbelievable. They were skilled players. But uh, then you had Nashland that was in uh, also uh, Vancouver. You uh, see yeah, that? that's Marcus Nashland. Marcus Nashland. Yeah, and, that's uh, the next the next generation. Uh, next generation. But we could go on and on. And the uh, Swedish players are, are are researched. People want people want Swedish players, Swedish and Finnish, because the reason is simple. It it, it is the uh, preparation. Because I'm just talking about uh, end results. But if we look at their global program, they can be very proud of of what where they've come to. Because especially with, uh, especially with as few players in in relation to population, it's it's amazing. Oh goodness! I mean, if you come, there's 300 million people in the United States. And it has uh, the United States has the largest uh, participation of uh, hockey players in the world, uh, yeah. the, you know, by bar none. So when we look at that, but then again, too, the it all comes back to your program. The Swedes have an excellent program. It's like anything; there's always room for improvement. Uh, you have to be like a dog on a bone. You yeah. cannot be satisfied. So 
but they're doing very well. Uh, yeah, I'm actually, like I said, very proud of them. that my wife uh, has, she has a Swedish jersey. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, we have two of them here. And uh, everybody asks me, well, how come you have a Swedish jersey? I said, because the model, the skill factor, uh, and I've sent, actually told youth to go to Sweden. You need skills. Go yeah. to Sweden. No, I've actually done that. It's good stuff. Well, John, thank you for sharing your time. I'm uh, glad the power didn't go out. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, we'll stay in touch for sure. And then and as you get the website up and running, we'll we'll make sure that we'll uh, help out with with some uh, reaching out. I know it's the first year doing it, and I'm sure it's going to be more more of it. And, and it's probably going to grow quite a bit. And, and we'll be behind be behind supporting it for sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me.